Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Rachel Amory and on this episode I'll be joined by Adele Merson and Callum Ross to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, read for us by Chris Finn. Around 300 people have been killed in a Russian airstrike on a theatre in the besieged Ukrainian city of Mariupol. Almost 1,300 people were believed to have been sheltering in the building, with only 150 survivors emerging out of the rubble immediately after the attack. Mariupol has suffered some of the worst devastation of the war, with frequent shelling and missile attacks from the Russian forces. The boss of P&O Ferries is being told to resign after the ferry giant sacked 800 of its workers with no notice. The company went on to replace its crews with cheaper agency workers who were being paid on average £5.50 an hour, which is lower than the UK minimum wage. UK Transport Secretary Grant Shapps says the boss, Peter Hebblethwaite, knows he broke the law and should step down immediately. And Boris Johnson says it will be a challenge to give Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky the tanks he wants, although Allies will try to give weapons to Ukraine and has deployed UK troops to Bulgaria, Poland and Estonia to boost NATO numbers. Mr Johnson has also hit back at the Kremlin for labelling him enemy number one among Western leaders. Thanks, Chris. But let's turn our attention to what's been happening closer to home. This week has seen Chancellor Rishi Sunak's spring budget statement. Some of the announcements include cutting fuel duty, increasing the threshold for national insurance, cutting income tax and doubling the household support fund. The Chancellor did make it very clear, though, that it's a tough budget and that is because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Let's take a listen to what the Chancellor had to say. We stand with Ukraine. But Mr Speaker, the actions we have taken to sanction Putin's regime are not cost-free for us at home. The invasion of Ukraine presents a risk to our recovery, as it does to countries around the world. We came into this crisis with our economy growing faster than expected, with the UK having the highest growth rate in the G7 last year. But the OBR has said specifically there is unusually high uncertainty around the outlook. It is too early to know the full impact of the Ukraine war on the UK economy. But their initial view, combined with high global inflation and continuing supply chain pressures, means the OBR now forecasts growth this year of 3.8%. The OBR then expects the economy to grow by 1.8% in 2023, and 21 1.8 and 1.7% in the following three years. The House will take comfort that the lower growth outlook has not affected our strong jobs performance. After he made his budget statement, a Labour MP was heard shouting, is that it? Callum, you've been looking at the budget this week. Is, is that it? <laughs> well... In, to answer your question, Rachel, no, I, I don't think it will be it, to be honest. And by that, I mean, I think the spring statement has gone down pretty badly, possibly worse, or certainly up there, worse than kind of any budget since uh, maybe George Osborne's uh, infamous Omnishambles budget in 2012, if you remember, um, where he got into all kinds of trouble with the pasty tax and uh, uh, things like that. Um, I just think Rishi, Rishi Sunak's going to have to come back and, and offer more in the next um, 
few months. We do have to bear in mind, I mean, he, he obviously um, placed it firmly in the context of Ukraine. We do have to bear in mind that the Chancellor doesn't have unlimited cash. The Treasury has already effectively kept the UK economy on a life support machine through the pandemic with its um, uh, furlough scheme, which, you know, came at a huge cost. And one of the biggest headaches facing um, Rishi Sunak going into this this uh, spring statement was the kind of soaring cost of interest on, on government debt, which is now poised to hit £83 billion. That's double what was being forecast in October. So soaring costs are hitting the government as well and and they have to bear that in mind. Nick McPherson, I thought this was interesting, he's the former permanent secretary to the Treasury for over a decade, kind of top official at the Treasury. He, I saw that he had tweeted just before the statement that, that, that the Chancellor would be doing the right thing if he was cautious and he he, you know, that gives it kind of an idea of the sort of advice the Chancellor would have been getting from his uh, officials. And he, you know, he was cautious, but it really kind of felt like the statement didn't show that the government was really grasping the scale of the challenges people are, are going to face and are facing in this country as um, households' budgets are squeezed. You know, this is the cost of living crisis. People have been discussing, um, uh, yes, the you mentioned the 5p fuel duty cut that will make things not quite as bad as they would have been and there's also the rise in the, the national insurance threshold uh, which might enable some more ordinary workers to keep a bit more of their pay but it's not been seen as enough uh, because basically I think the cost of almost everything is rising sharply and the pay people get um, from their employers is not really going up uh, in nowhere near at the same speed and that's that's why most of the headlines following the budget kind of focused on a line I mean you mentioned the Office for Budget Responsibility though uh, OBR the Chancellor mentioned him uh, it was one of their lines that, that kind of grabbed all the headlines and that was this warning that, that soaring inflation um, combined with you know the fact it was growing outpacing wage growth growth basically that was going to combine with tax increases to uh, basically cut real household um, disposable incomes by 2.2% in the coming year and that's that's going to be the largest fall according to the OBR, largest fall in a single year since uh, records began in the 1950s. Uh, what does that mean? In reality it's going to translate into a real change, a real hit in living standards for many people. And probably the knock-on impact of that, uh, I'd imagine, uh, would be kind of growing anger and resentment and demands for government action. Rishi Sunak could have taken that action this week in the spring statement, but he's not really done so. Uh, uh, so when you ask, uh, will that be it? I don't think it will be because I think he's going to have to come back uh, in the next few months when, when these uh, when the cost of living crisis really starts to to bite. Uh, and if he doesn't. There could be political consequences uh, uh, for for Mr. Sunak and his party. Well, I was reading a statement from the Joseph Rowntree Foundation earlier this week. It was warning this budget is going to have people falling into destitution and being unable to afford basics like food and soap. Um, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word destitution, to me that kind of conjures up a sort of Dickensian image of the Victorian era. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Scotland in 2022. I mean, Adele, what's what's your thoughts there? I mean, how hard is this going to be for people? Yes, I think it's it's really a stark situation. Anti-poverty campaigners, they estimate that the about more than, I think it's about 1.3 million people could be pushed into poverty. 
and that includes about half a million children. Um, and that's at the same time while they're raising tax to the highest level since the Second World War. So you're facing a perfect storm there, really. I think what came across in the spring statement from anti-poverty campaigners was that it really failed to provide targeted support for those that are really facing the most uh, troubling circumstances. It failed to increase benefits enough to keep up with inflation. So benefits are only, uh, universal credit's only going up by 3.1%, which is half the rate of inflation. So they're saying that it's effectively the second to real terms cut to benefits. That coupled with the fact that there was no real direct support for people with soaring energy bills. And I think that that left the spring statement feeling like it didn't actually tackle the issue. It didn't It didn't provide support to those who, well, you know, we all need support, but for those at the uh, those suffering the absolute most, and I think, uh, as you said in the earlier question, I think is this enough? I think we will see more coming forward, much more coming forward in the the next budget in October. I think it is, because then we'll be facing another winter. I think the price cap will have gone up again by then, so the situation will be even worse. So it makes you think perhaps the Chancellor is biding his time and knows that he will need to put forward even more as time goes on. Well, one group that was definitely not pleased with the statement was the SNP. Uh, let's hear what Alison Thulis, she's the SNP's Treasury spokeswoman, let's hear what she had to say in the Commons. Because what we heard today from the Chancellor was not enough. It was utterly detached from the needs of our constituents up and down these islands. This has been a cost-of-living crisis over a decade in the making, layer upon layer. Austerity which stripped back public services and punished people through brutal social security cuts. Brexit, which has driven away skilled workers and increased costs for businesses and for individuals. Covid, where we saw public money splurged in its billions on crony contracts while some people were entirely excluded from support and now those who got support under SACE are expected to pay tax on it just to add insult to injury. And now home energy costs, which were already soaring before the increase in hostilities in Ukraine, are forcing households to the brink. Inflation running at 6.2%, its highest in 30 years, hitting the poorest hardest. Food prices rising, especially for the basics, and food banks seeing record numbers of people coming through their doors. The Chancellor said he's going to increase the household support fund, but really, is that it? Is that it? Because people are desperate and they need a good deal more help than that. Mr Speaker, we know that sanctioning Russia is not cost-free, but the Tories cannot use this as a sleight of hand to distract from the layers of pain which lie beneath the current crisis. Now, the Fraser of Allender Institute and Nicola Sturgeon, they've both publicly accused the Conservative government of trying to please voters here rather than helping those the most in need. Is that the case, Callum? Is that what's happening? Uh, If that was the intention, I don't think it's achieved it because I don't think they've pleased voters. Um, I think, uh, I'm not certain, but I suspect they're possibly referring to the proposed income tax change which doesn't kick in uh, until um, uh, is it 24 25 maybe around the time we might be um, expecting to get uh, another election um, so possibly um, some commentators suggested that, that this uh, uh, 1p uh, income tax cut was designed to kind of uh, you know give the Tories a head start going into that election but I've, I've I don't think it's gone down. Uh, that well at all. Certainly, the 
package as a whole and I saw Paul Waugh who's a kind of veteran Westminster commentator saying that the Chancellor might have even kind of cost the Tories the next election with with uh, with the way his statements um uh, gone down so yeah I don't I don't think it's uh, it's it's please voters or or you know help vulnerable people well, another hot topic this week has been the ferries fiasco, and I feel like that's a phrase that we've been using for years now. It started off with a pretty damning report from Audit Scotland. Uh, this report was looking into why two new ferries are now running four years late and almost two and a half times over budget. This report said the delays exposed a multitude of failings and listed the problems and mistakes that have been happening right from the very, very beginning. And immediately afterwards in Holyrood, we then had Finance Secretary Kate Forbes announcing yet more delays and costs to these two new ships. So they're now not going to be ready until next year. And there's now going to be an additional £8.7 million in cost. Now that brings the total overspend on these ships to a whopping £126.5 million. Now, aside from just thoroughly angering everyone on the islands, I mean, this is just a complete failure for the SNP government, isn't it? I mean, Callum, is this just another issue in the long list of failures for the SNP at the moment? It is, Rachel, a bit of a disaster. Um, it's been running for a long time and it's probably going to keep running for a long time with more delays and cost overruns and everything else. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. You'd have to say it's up there, one of the... Um, the biggest sort of uh, uh, shambles presided over by this Scottish government. Um, you think of, of of the kind of recent crisis with the SQA and, and uh, obviously um, tragic drug death figures and things like that. I mean, this this is this is certainly um, a, a, a shambles, and it's one of the uh, uh, big kind of negatives uh, for the SNP government during its its era in power. I mean, you can, I guess, playing devil's advocate, you can understand why they would want to try to do everything to give contracts to, um, you know, to a Scottish shipyard uh, with everything that's gone on with ship building in, 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 in recent decades. But, um, you know, the way it's worked out, well, it hasn't worked out at all. And especially for, as you mentioned, the kind of islanders at the end of the day, they're the ones that are, are going to pay the greatest price, but and are paying the, the greatest price uh, because of because of this uh, failure. Uh, we haven't. I I think there's been some coverage this week uh, this weekend. Uh, this kind of suggestion that that it's been put on uh, the blame's been put on uh, Derek Mackay, the former disgraced former kind of finance uh, secretary. That's kind of convenient because he's obviously um, already left government otherwise you'd think possibly uh, 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 someone else um, you know heads might have had to uh, roll uh, and you know they they still could you never know because uh, it is that kind of scale of uh, debacle uh, uh, now. I mean I've had um, folks from the islands telling me this week the government should even consider paying compensation to businesses on the island because the delays and the cancellations are that bad um, this just must be soul-destroying for those living on the islands. Um, Adele, what, what's your thoughts there? Yes, I mean, we hear about it on, on the mainland, I guess, in, in a bit more of an abstract way. But for those that are living on the islands, this is their, for some of them, they're the lifeline links, how they get off the island. And as you say, some have asked for business compensation because you've got people that need to bring materials and foods 
uh, food into the islands, but you've also got people that need to take uh, produce off the islands, such as uh, I think it was salmon and other fish. And then, of course, you've got we're coming up to summer, a really kind of busy time for tourism on the islands. And I, I know there's already been existing problems where those that live there are, are struggling to get places on, on the ferries because of the high the, the high number of tourists that are coming in. So again, you've got potentially a problem there where on the one hand, the people that live there can't get back and forth, but also the people that want to come into the islands and spend money and develop the tourism there, they are facing you know schedules where ferries are cancelled or they're disrupted and it could potentially put people off visiting. So I think it's those communities that are really crying out for these these vessels were supposed to be, I think it was sailing in 2018 and we're now in 2022 and they're, they're still not on the water yet. So I'm sure they're very frustrated. Well, looking ahead to what's to come in the next few weeks, we've got another election. Um, on May the 5th, we have the local council elections, which means there are hundreds and hundreds of candidates all over Scotland, and it can kind of be hard to keep a track of them all. So it does beg the question, I mean, who is vetting these candidates? Um, we ask this question because we've had a few candidates this week whose social media pass has come back to bite them. Um, our colleague Derek has been looking at one in particular, uh, Siobhan Tolland. Um, she is standing for the SNP in Dundee's Lochie Ward. And it's been uncovered that she has a series of Facebook posts dating back to 2010, which describes her shouting until her throat was sore at the Pope and went as far as calling him a word that we cannot repeat here. Other posts that she made include suggestions the 9-11 terrorist attacks were an inside job and a blog post which refers to a Nazi concentration camp while also criticising the then Prime Minister David Cameron. Um, Adele, she's not the only one who's had social media posts that she thought were probably long behind her brought back to life. I mean, how careful do people in public in the public eye need to be about their social media at this point now? Yes, I mean, it, it's advisable probably not to go on social media and share your most controversial opinions uh, these days. But I, I guess you could say you can say that with hindsight. But at the time, potentially a lot of these people may not have known or foreseen that they would have become political candidates. But yeah, it certainly seems advisable to to not do that. I think we're going to see many more stories like this. I think we've already seen a flurry in the last few days of uh, this style of thing ahead of May's elections. And there will be a lot of regret among people for some of their, their online behaviour. Having the balance of it, I do sometimes, when you take sort of potentially younger candidates, where you do worry that people, you know, we've all been young and not all of us have had to necessarily grow up on the internet, but for those for that younger generation, I think there'll be there's a worry there that things they said when they were young and naive and, and still kind of developing their opinions could come back to haunt them. But I think people really need to be really need to be cautious going forward on what they put online. And we're now looking at potentially comments that have been up for 15 years almost. I mean, that's how long people have been posting on social media now. So that is a, a good point. Um, one thing that was interesting about this particular case was the Labour MSP, Michael Mara. Um, he came out thoroughly criticising um, Siobhan Tollin's comments. Um, but then the SNP responded to Michael Mara, saying that, well, she was just merely demonstrating against the cover-up of paedophilia and child abuse. And then went on to question Mr. Mara if he condoned historical child abuse within the Catholic Church himself. 
um, which is a quite um, a bold statement to be making. Um, I mean, Callum, is this something that should have been picked up when the party was selecting Siobhan Tolland? Or, or are the SNP right? Should individual candidates be allowed to express these kind of views, even if it does anger other people? I, I think it should have been picked up, obviously. Um, um, I mean, I don't know the kind of resources these parties have to do it, but I mean, Adele's right. This this kind of comes up at ele- every election now, it seems. there's a As soon as candidates are announced... Um, uh, there's, uh, you know, <laughs> a series of stories about about what they've, uh, what a fair chunk of them have said in, on social media in the past, and a lot of them end up uh, being withdrawn or, or standing down themselves. Yeah, I mean, it seems amazing to to us that the the, the parties aren't kind of going back and trolling through and checking what what they've um, said on uh, social media because you know for certain uh, that the their opponents will be doing that. Uh, it's the first thing they'll do, and and the parties will do that themselves to their opponents. So um, it does seem odd. I don't know if it's a resources thing or if they just make the call that they think they can maybe um, weather the storm if it if it comes. In terms of the response, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't actually seen what the SNP said. I mean, I tend to think in PR sometimes uh, it can be better just to apologise, uh, or often it can be better just to apologise and try to draw a line under it. Uh, it sounds like what the SNP has done is keep the the story running, um, which isn't uh, good for their, um, you know. For their public image, uh, especially in in that part of the country, so um, that that's was possibly inadvisable if that if that is what's happened. Well, with more than a month before the election even happens, Siobhan Tolland has already ruffled a fair few feathers. So, uh, well done. Uh, you get our stoosh of the week. Stoosh of the week. That's it for this week. Uh, thanks to Adele and Callum and producer Marvin McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more, but until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. Goodbye. The Stushi is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster, and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following the Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.